Hey, it's Heidi Green. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction and Codependency Breakthrough. And I'm going to talk about something today that is probably so big, so deep and wide. It's like trying to box the friggin' ocean. But I am going to do like my best effort, my biggest attempt that I can do because it's a subject that is so friggin' important. How do I know that people need to talk more about this? It's because nobody freaking is talking about it, number one, and the way that I want to talk about it with you today. But because when I was working as a, a group facilitator, uh, a coach inside of one of the world's leading drug and alcohol treatment centers for almost a decade, teaching codependency, teaching adult children of alcoholics uh, meetings, you know, teaching, running all these different groups, family programs, and creating all the things, one thing was crystal clear to me. Every time I interacted with the thousands of addicts and alcoholics that came through that treatment center. And that was a complete denial, disregard, or lacking depth of the impact their addiction and behavior had on another human being. There is a lie an addict and alcoholic tells themselves is that the only person they're hurting is themselves when you and I both know that is the farthest thing from the truth. Everybody's impacted. And just like when you drop a pebble in a pond, it ripples out, baby. And so I want to talk to you today about how an addicted relationship is an abusive relationship. But that's like a big word. Now, if we're going to call it that, what do we have to, that means I have to do something. Oh shit. You know, panic starts to settle in. Please stay here. Please settle in and please be willing to shift the perspective a little bit because I promise you this, I promise you this, if we can riff on this together for the next little while and you will stay with me as we discuss this, this thing and, and flesh it out a little bit, you're going to leave feeling more empowered, not less empowered. You're going to leave feeling better when you leave this conversation than you did when you sat down. Why? That's my intent all the time. And how do I help you feel better? Not by sugarcoating shit, not by putting peanut butter all around a pill. And, and by the time you take the pill, the, the, the peanut butter distorted the, the effects of the medication. All right. I, I make you feel better by equipping you with the truth, equipping you with information, equipping you with logic that, that can be lost whenever you are dealing with addiction, because let's be real, you lose a lot of things when you're dealing with somebody who's addicted, but the one thing you lose is your goddamn mind, okay? We lose our common sense, we lose our ability to think. And you're so smart. You can look at everybody else and be like, okay, this is what you should do. Uh, this is a no brainer. But in your own situation, we lose our sight of what's really happening. I remember, you know, dealing with so many people in treatment that thought that they were in abusive relationships. You know, they want to come into my healthy relationships courses, classes, and they'd want to sit in my, you know, uh, my groups and women's groups and men's groups. And they would want to talk about the abuse they suffered in their own relationships, which was true. They definitely had suffered abuse, but they never would really want to talk about or broach the subject they abused, they inflicted on other people as a result of their abuse. And here's all of us. Here's, here's everybody else that's been impacted by addiction, another's addiction, 
whether you grew up in it and your dad was a functioning nice alcoholic or your mom was uh, on pills or, you know, you got in a relationship with somebody and they blindsided you. And now you're here stuck in this situation. You know, there's not a place for us to be able to talk about that impact and, and the shrapnel that that impact of being with a, an addict or an alcoholic leaves behind. And so I made it my mission. One of the most important, you know, when, when somebody's in recovery, you might get lucky if they work a step, right? And that's their flavor of recovery where they work a step and they come to you with their list of wrongs and they want to say to you, Hey, I want to make amends, man. Yeah. I just want to sit you down. I want to tell you about all the shit I did. And, 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 and you know what they miss is like half of the story. And why they miss half of the story is because they were sleeping for most of that story. They weren't even awake for the pain they caused you. How the hell are they supposed to take a responsibility and accountability for shit they don't even remember? So I'm not saying that they need to pay the price, that we're going to villainize the actor alcoholic and you're an abusive person and you need to realize this and watch Heidi's video and listen to Heidi's podcast because you're an abusive fucker and you're going to find out. Fuck around and find out. Okay. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this so you know what type of relationship you're in and you can be empowered and equipped to make an educated choice and decision about how you want to move forward in your life. Ooh, now having said that, I watched, I used to show videos in the treatment center. And one of the videos was like this TED talk of this woman who was in an abusive relationship that was a traditionally what we would think of as an abusive relationship, right? Where we would think, oh my God, he's hurting me. He's hitting me. He's, you know, threatening me. He's doing all these things. And even she said the number one reason why people stay in abusive relationships isn't because they're weak, isn't because they're stupid. It's because they don't think they're in one. That's the, that's the whole point of that touch. I stay in this relationship because I don't know I'm in an abusive relationship. I think I'm just with somebody who's fucking complicated. Remember that Facebook status update? It's complicated. If I, I just think they're complicated. I think they're misunderstood. And we can all look at that, that jerk, right? That hurts people and puts his hands on people. And we can go, yeah, that's the abuser. But it's harder when you have dad who goes to work all day long, puts food on the table, and mostly minds his own business until he gets that certain point in the evening time when he's just had a little bit too much. And then he starts to get a little inappropriate, but never too much. But then he gets mean sometimes too. You know, there's a spectrum here and it's all one spectrum. All right. Abuse has many spectrums, but when we recognize and call it for what it is, then we can heal. But here's what we do. We take that one guy that's an obvious spectrum person. Oh my God. Yeah, look, there, here they are. They're, they are abuser. It's clear. It's crystal clear. Yeah. Punish that person, hate that person, whatever. And what happens with addiction is this thing I call, or I mean, I'm sure other people call it that too, toxic compassion, where because we label it a disease, we end up saying, well, they don't mean to do it. They don't mean to hurt me when they're under the influence. They don't mean to financially abuse us and take all the money and gamble it away. They don't mean to watch pornography and lose themselves in their addiction. And in fact, when they come and apologize to me the next day, they even tell me stuff like that wasn't really them. Well, that's gaslighting, baby. Was I sleeping or did you have an impersonator? Did you have somebody come in and take over your body and, and an alien crawling into your skin and did all that shit while you were like, Yes, to some degree, the addicted personality, 
but you can't split those people. It's not Tom and the addicted personality jerk. It's all one person. And here's what we've done in our culture. We've said, I want to follow Dr. Romney. I'm going to let, and the guy with the white hair, I can never remember his name, but he's pretty good too. And I want to learn all about this narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, yeah. And I want to villainize that person and you're an, an asshole and here's why and you fit all this criteria. And then we get into addiction and we're like, well, it's a disease. You know, it's also a personality disorder. Addiction is also a personality disorder because one isn't born with an addictive personality. One creates the addictive personality while they're addicted. They get hijacked. And sometimes they don't recover their personality from all of that. And so what we need is more compassion for the narcissists because they didn't create that. They, they didn't choose to become a narcissist either. Just like an addict didn't become, choose to become an addict. A narcissist was in narcissistic abuse. Likely that was nurtured into that human being. They became a narcissist because of their unique psychology, biology, background, all the things. And addiction kind of works the same way, except for a step further, they trained themselves into addiction through substance ingestion. Had they never in ingested a substance, they wouldn't have got here. Nobody wakes up an addict. We train ourselves into it. But the point is, is that these are both severe personality disorders. So instead of saying, you're such a jerk because you're a narcissist or you're such a jerk because you're an addict, you get to say, as the spouse or partner of that person you're with, do I want to start keep looking at a bird and expecting it to bark? Or do I want to release the bird into the wild and let it fly and do its fucking thing? These are the decisions we need to make because you can never make a bird a dog. You could try, you can have a, a bird dog, but you can't make yourself you know, a bird into a dog. Just like when we say, well, Heidi, no, 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 no. A narcissist can never change. I know all that research. Narcissists never change. And addiction, they can change. They can change. Addiction, they can absolutely work just like a narcissist does if they choose to go to therapy to get, make some headway. But that takes an immense amount of work for that person. Just not using anymore doesn't mean the abuse stops. Many people that I have, many students that I have in my programs and in my courses and in my semi-private group coaching talk about how somebody's been sober for almost a year and they're still manipulating and they're still lying and they're still struggling emotionally managing their temper. Why? Because they're not doing anything to get better. They're not going to therapy. They're not working at, at what they need to be doing. Let's go over some of the ways that this is an abusive relationship and the types of abuse that you can suffer when you are in a relationship with an addict or an alcoholic. Now, for more information, or if you wanna think about getting some help here, if you go over to HeidiRain.com, there are standalone programs you can hit the purchase button right now and go over there and purchase a program and start to digest information that's not on YouTube. That's not in the podcast. That's specific strategic therapeutic coaching to help you break free and get past the thing that you're in. And if you want to join me personally, privately, in one of my curated small groups, semi-private group coaching is like, what the hell is semi-private group coaching? Semi-private group coaching is one-on-one -on -one coaching with me and a semi-private curated peer group of your peers. 
So you get my one-on-one -on -one attention. It's not a big old group where we have thousands of people in there. We don't do that things that way because we can't make change that way. Okay. We need to be able to touch and feel each other. Well, that kind of came out wrong. I mean, of course I would love to touch and feel you. I'm sure you're fantastic. Okay. Here, let's give a little ASMR touch. Okay. Fantastic. Let's get into some of the ways that this relationship can be abusive. And I even had to take notes too, because there's so many ways that I didn't want to miss anything. One of the things we recognize as abuse is physical abuse. You know, we can say, yeah, well, somebody, you know, hits me right out or, or, or somebody has inflicted pain on me physically. And, you know, I grew up with a lot of physical abuse and it came in the form of the belt and smacks and hair pulling and all kinds of stuff. But it doesn't even have to be that drastic when you're in a relationship with an addict or an alcoholic to realize that you're being physically abused when your personal space is violated, right? You're trying to get out of the room and they're barging into the room or they didn't mean to uh, get in your way or hit you, but they opened the door up and flung it open and they were so drunk that you fell in the process. You know, these are the things that we tell ourselves that we're not really in a physically abusive relationship because they only act that way when they're drunk and they really only do these things when they're really off the handle or when there's, there's, but otherwise they're great. Otherwise they're perfect. You know who else is like that? An abusive person in the honeymoon phase of the abuse cycle. Whenever they hurt somebody and then all of a sudden they feel like shit because they hurt them and they apologize, rationalize, minimize, blame, even the other person. I, I wouldn't have done that if you weren't in the way. So we have to start to say, okay, Heidi, I'm going to open up my mind here. I'm going to say, can I see in my situation how my physical boundaries have been violated, that I've been in the way of the wrong thing when somebody has been under the influence? Sometimes you're not going to get the physical stuff. Let's say you have a super nice alcoholic, super nice functioning addict, and they just go into the garage and just, just like smoke cigarettes and, you know, do stuff out there, they tinker, or let's say they go in their bedroom and they sit up on their things and just drink wine all night long and they disappear. Well, what kind of abuse is that? If you have a parent or you have a spouse that you love and you married that person because you think that um, you want to spend the rest of your life with them, right? And you want to be with them. But every time you want to talk to them, you work all day long, they're functioning. They work all day long too. When you both come home, they start the, or the, or the pop of the bottle or the pill or whatever it is. And they start to fade away and disappear. And you want to connect with that person. You want to talk about what's going on in your day and you want to commune with them and have it. That's why you got with them in the first place, right? Is to have this intimate relationship with them where you share your lives together. But when they're locked away in the garage or they're locked away in the in the bedroom or the guest house or wherever they happen to go, that's emotional neglect. You you have, now we can say that as a kid. We can say that as a kid. We can say, I know my parents emotionally neglected me because every time I wanted to talk about my problems, we can put it in perspective. Yeah, they'd shut me down. They told me I couldn't cry. Aren't you in the same situation now? Aren't you being emotionally neglected now as an adult? Now, I know when I just said that, somebody was like, oh, fuck shit. Because you just recognized that you are there again. That you thought you had escaped it, and here you are again. Now, what I'm telling you about 
feeling better leaving this conversation than when you did when you sat down is I'm telling you that when you recognize what you're in, then you start to get your power back because then you can make choices. You can't change what you cannot see. You cannot work on what you can't recognize. And so if you're starting to see this, and this might be the case for you, it's probably time to seek out some support. Now, I think that Al-Anon is great. I have so many students and clients that have gone to Al-Anon, but I, hear, I can tell you, and I'm not downing it at all. I think there's a place for it or a therapy even. What my students come to me for and why we work so well together is because I don't shit around, okay? Yes, I wanna emotionally support you. Yes, I want to be that safe space for you to emotionally connect and share what's happening to you. But I also need to give you strategic step-by-step -step advice based upon our interactions to see what you want and where you're going. And we're going places inside of these coaching containers, okay? You and I are working together towards figuring out what you really want and then making that real and giving you the words to say when this stuff starts happening. Well, Heidi, how do I handle that? That's why you come into the groups because we I, that's too much for me to even get into without seeing your beautiful face right in front of me and I'm giving it and feeding it to you and you're repeating it back and we practice it out. That's the value of, of allowing me to be into your heart just a little more. You know what else happens sometimes in an addictive household? Oh, I can tell you this. When I was growing up, um, we had, of course, I had physical abuse, which I talked about. I definitely had emotional abuse when I would be crying. I'd be told, you're too sensitive. There's nothing to cry about. What's wrong with you? But also... Um, whenever I would, there were periods in my life where my family wasn't able to provide at all. We, I grew up extremely poor for the first, uh, seven years of my life. I didn't have a, like, I had nothing. Okay. We had to burn furniture that we'd find random in our house in the winter to stay warm. We would have to eat potato soup for like two months at a time because we didn't have any other food in the house or spaghetti constantly or whatever have you. But there are many times we didn't have water in the house. We didn't have heat in the house. I didn't have what I needed. And those we can see that's physical neglect. That's physical neglect, right? Okay, I don't have my basic physical needs, food, shelter, water. Do you know how many times that's not as obvious when mom's passed out and the kids haven't eaten all day? Or the kids are waiting at school to be picked up and mom is late again, or dad uh, you know, promised that he was gonna provide the thing for them to be able to do the thing, but he's just not physically present to be able to do the thing. He doesn't meet, he doesn't give the money to like physical needs, you know, safety, security. How safe and secure is your family when you're living in an addicted dynamic? Well, Heidi, they're they're functioning, you know, everything, you know, our physical needs are met. The kids have the kids have a roof over their head. They are, you know, we have all the means in the world. We have plenty of money. Okay, money, yeah. Well, you know what every rich person I've ever worked with or wealthy person I've ever worked with says is they would have taken the emotional over the physical, over the financial. But financial abuse is a real thing too, isn't it? Even for wealthy families. I've, I've worked with families. I've worked with individuals that have had millions of dollars and guess how many millions of dollars they've spent over the course of trying to get somebody well. I work with parents all the time that have access to a lot of resources and their children have cost, have, have cost 
millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars at the least in treatment. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or that's a wrong thing, but that's a form of financial abuse. An addict or an alcoholic could say to you, if you don't give me that money to do the thing, I'm not going to get sober or do well. That's fine. That's hijacked. You know what that is? Fucking ransom. That's a kidnapping, man. What are they stolen? Your peace, your sanity. When you think about all these ways that potentially you've suffered abuse at the hands of the person that is addicted or just dysfunctional, but addicted is what we're talking about today. Can we agree that you never want to call yourself a victim? Calling yourself a victim is one of the worst things you could ever do. You're like, I am not a victim. Why not? You're a high achiever. You're an overcomer. You're a survivor. Yes. But what happens is when you don't recognize the impact that you've had and how you have been victimized in this abusive dynamic, all your focus goes on fixing the partner instead of healing your pain and healing your mind and healing your emotions and either this just go, go on forever, this dance, or you'll get out of that relationship. And because you didn't heal the shrapnel resulting in that war you were in, you will marry the next person, date the next person, keep running into this situation over and over again. And there's hope, I'm telling you right now, but it takes a, an investment on your end, not just the YouTube videos, which believe me, I know I had a commencement last night where there were a small group of us and one of our cohorts was commencing. Of course, we were all crying last night. Uh, we fall in love with each other, not just me. I used to never be a group person, but I decided why I love groups so much is because, first of all, I had to get out of my own way. Like, oh, the only way I can make change is if I'm directly one-on-one -on -one with that person. Man, did I underestimate the power of that group dynamic and how each person in there was healing each other and connected to one another. That environment is so crucial because we think about where does the trauma happen? Where does the, the trauma that you're suffering happen? It happens in relationship. And healing happens in relationship too. We can't always be a lone ranger. We can, it, it does require, you know, one of my commences last night goes, I watched your videos for a year before I came into one of your groups. And that's not uncommon. You know, I get it. I know. But then I have other people that are like, I heard one podcast and I pulled over and started crying and said, what's, what's your group? So we have everything all in between, but what I want to tell you is you'll get the nudge, you know, that the time is right for you to take some action. And that gut feeling feels like, man, that would be so good to feel supported, man. That feels so good. And you get that nudge in your heart. Like, yes, it's time or your gut. And then travels up to the mind and you're like, oh, but I don't really know. What if it doesn't work? What if, what if I don't get the result? You know, what if I'm uh, invest and, and nothing happens and nothing changes, everything changes. When you take that step, everything changes when you come into mentorship and, and allow me to come alongside of you. I know it changes because look how much you're changing now just from watching the videos or listening to the podcast, right? The last form of abuse I want to talk about is very sensitive. So if you have little ones around, you might want to, you know, temper this. Um, it's sexual abuse. And I, in my history, have been, have suffered sexual abuse where I've been violated. I have, you know, had lots of things happen and it's easy for us to pick out the boogeyman and say, that's the predator. That's the person who does this sort of thing. This is, yeah, that's the violent criminal that violates people. 
But what we don't see is the very drunk person who demands that we're intimate when they smell like alcohol and we give in and we do like a self-betrayal and we're intimate with that person while they're under the influence or whatever is happening. And guess what's happening to us inside? We are dying a slow death with every breath. That is a form of sexual abuse. Being in a relationship where you feel like you have to do something to make somebody shut the hell up. You have to do something to make somebody go to sleep. You have to do something to make somebody go away. You have to do something to make somebody not use. You have to do something to make somebody not drink. That's abuse. I think we've talked about enough for today. Right? We, I told you we were going wide and deep. Hopefully we went narrow enough and a wide. Hopefully what I did was like Moses part of the sea. We started out with like saying, you know, hey, describing this is like trying to box the ocean. Hopefully we parted it. We parted the sea and I've given you a path to walk down to healing. And I want you to walk it with me because I see you and you cannot have effective therapeutic intervention or coaching intervention if somebody doesn't fully see you. Dedicated my whole life to people like us, my whole life. I do not work with people in recovery anymore. I work with the people who are impacted by other people's addiction. Why? It's a huge gap. Nobody else is doing it the way that we need to do it. So I'm doing it. And I want to do it with you. Now, there I go again. Now, I want to touch and feel you and do it with you. You get the point, okay? I love you. I'm here for you. I see you. And I would love to be with you. Take excellent care and I'll see you really soon. Bye-bye.